Hi, listeners. This is Understand South Carolina, a news podcast from the Post and Courier. I'm Emily Williams. If you live in or around Charleston, you know that finding housing that's affordable can be a big issue here. Buying a home can feel unattainable for some people. And during the pandemic, affordability didn't get any better. Homes sold at record levels, and home prices in the Charleston region surged to a median of about $300,000. So I think a question a lot of people are asking is, who can buy a home here these days? And what are the barriers keeping people who want to buy a home from being able to make that purchase? Today we'll be tackling two topics that get at that question. First, the homeownership disparity between white and black South Carolinians, and second, how student loan debt is keeping some people from buying their first home. My name is Ricky Dennis, and I cover the city of North Charleston, uh, as well as the religious uh, community um, in the Charleston area. So let's start with Stella and James Dukes. They're first-time homeowners who just bought a house in Ladson. Can you tell me a little bit more about them? Yeah, so uh, so Stella and James Dukes, they're uh, both from the Charleston uh, area. Stella worked as a nurse and now is retired, and James uh, still works uh, for the North Charleston uh, Sewer District. So both from the Charleston area um, had several children and had uh, three grandchildren. But, you know, throughout their 40 plus you know, years of marriage, uh, they never owned a house. So just recently, like a couple of weeks ago, they closed on their, on their first home ever. And it was a, a one-story house in, uh, in the Ladson uh, area, which is just out, outside, of, outside of North Charleston. Uh, you know, th- their story is, is a story um, that, you know, the, some of the struggles that they've had that have prevented them from being able to purchase a house, um, it's something that's pretty common among African-Americans. Um, and they just, you know, talked about just, you know, we just had you know, so much on our plate. I mean, after raising their children, you know, they also paid for all three of their grandchildren to go to college. They just never were, were in a, you know, financial position uh, to be able to, to, to put money down on a house, having, you know, raised their children and, and uh, even their children have, have started buying their own homes. They, they've gotten themselves in a, in a much better position to, to, to start looking at a home. What got you interested in digging more into this issue, the disparity for Black homeowners? What, what got you interested in kind of getting, getting more into asking the questions of why that's the case? You know, for me, it was really just Last year, you know, after George Floyd died at the hands of the police officers and and that sparked all these, you know, protests, everyone now looking back and understands that, you know, all of those protests weren't just about the single, you know, incident with with, uh, George Floyd, but but, but it was also about all of these other disparities that continue to, to linger. And one piece of that was, you know, the economic disparity. So there remains kind of this, you know, large wealth gap you know, between uh, Blacks and whites. So when you talk about that, then you have to discuss, well, why is that the case? Well, one of the reasons, or if not one of the main reasons that that's the case is because of the, uh, you know, systemic racism and policies as it relates to uh, homeownership. Uh, because homeownership is considered by many as as the number one way to generate wealth um, in America. So as that conversation was going on, that's what really, you know, got me really interested in it. And then also, um, you know, kind of on a more 
more personal note, I mean, me and my wife were actually just able to, to purchase our own house as well. So with all that kind of happening, I just, you know, felt that, you know, now would be a good time to really just kind of try at least to, to explain, you know, why this disparity continues to, to, to exist, not just nationally, but, but of course in, in South Carolina as well. So what do those statistics look like first on you know, a national scale, but also is it is it similar for, for South Carolina or any different? It's similar. Um, so so nationally, the, the homeownership rate is, is about 64 percent. The homeownership rate for black Americans is 42 percent, which is almost 30 percent less than it is for white Americans, which is about 69.8 percent. In South Carolina, it's pretty much the same. So the homeownership rate um, is 69.3 percent. For Blacks, it's 51.3%, which is almost 30% less uh, than whites, for whom it's uh, 77.5%. So you, you essentially see the same thing in South Carolina um, that, you, that you see nationally. And, and many people argue that it's going to get even worse because once numbers come out you know, for 2021 and we see how the pandemic has impacted some of this, many you know, folks studying this as you feel that, that it'll, it'll get even worse moving forward. Let's get into some of the reasons why this disparity exists. There are some government policies that that were put in place that people point to, right, as really starting those disparities by creating segregated neighborhoods. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So so as as I was thinking about this and just the history, I I think one way to kind of summarize it is, you know, for, for black people, you know, they were considered property, you know, for many years before they could even obtain property, you know, for themselves. So, you know, for hundreds of years, just being, you know, enslaved, you know, as they were being enslaved and, you know, didn't have rights, couldn't purchase land, those kind of things, you know, white Americans were profiting off of that labor and were acquiring land and acquiring houses and things of that nature. So, so there's that. But then you get into the 1900s, where under, Know, President Roosevelt administration, where there are these uh, policies that are created to actually segregate neighborhoods based on race. What happened was that they formed uh, what they called the Homeowners Loan uh, Corporation, uh, which was an organization uh, established under that administration during the Great Depression to help uh, save people from going into foreclosure. Well, w- what they did was to essentially uh, offer loans and help people from going into foreclosure, but only if they were in white neighborhoods. That phrase redlining is is often used to kind of describe the the practice uh, that they did because um, they had these maps that were color coded. uh, So if the neighborhood was coded red, that meant that it was a predominantly African-American neighborhood. And that meant that their chances on getting a a loan to uh, keep them from going into foreclosure or be able to buy a home uh, was virtually uh, slim to none. So, and essentially the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights concluded in 1973 that the housing industry was enabled by the government for creating segregated housing. Um, but but it also, you know, it deprives wealth from African-Americans, you know, for, you know, generations. And it leads to these depressed incomes of four Blacks while all the while, you know, white families, are, their homes are appreciating and they're getting profit and all of that from their houses. What about when it comes to that home buying process? What role has discrimination played? And did you talk to any 
real estate experts now about how that still factors in? You know, if you talk with anyone, especially in the, in the nonprofit sector who are tackling this issue and, and you know, real estate professors, um, you know, they'll tell you that the discrimination, you know, it still, you know, occurs. So the New York Times, for example, had an extensive article last year where they talked about how, you know, black families um, reported uh, getting lower uh, home appraisals than than white families. Um, so that's still happening. Um, you know, there have been studies that have shown that, you know, blacks are, are charged uh, higher interest rates, you know, too, just because, you know, you know, they're, they're African-American. So, so yeah, so, so, so these, these practices are, are, are far from, far from over. You, you still have them, um, you know, at, at, at play. Do we know anything about representation within like the real estate industry, like realtors, people making appraisals? Do we know anything about that breakdown? to be more representative and to help address some of those issues you'd want, you know, that industry to look like the community of potential home buyers. Exactly. So, so that's a really, that's a really great point. You know, I think the gist of that is that there aren't enough, you know, black real estate agents. Um, certainly I think I can, I can say this with, with pretty good confidence that it, it certainly doesn't reflect the, you know, the community. You know, I spoke with, you know, Carolina one real estate, Michael Scarfile, who, um, is, is the, uh, president or CEO of the company took over you know, a few years ago, but, you know, they have you know, well over 900 real estate agents. So of the 900 plus that they have, he didn't have a number of who are African-American, but he was pretty confident that it doesn't reflect the diversity of, of the Charleston area. You know, you have that, but, but they've also been trying to, you know, diversify, you know, their, their staff. So what, you know, they've been doing at least is trying to um, as they expand their offices, try to put it in communities that are a little more diverse. And it seems like they've been having some success. So they've opened at least two new offices recently, one just off of Clemens Ferry Road, um, and then one in North Charleston, where they had some success in, in, in hiring a few more African-American uh, real estate agents. So the reason Stella Dukes and you know, uh, James, where, where, you know, got their house was because their realtor, I think, went to school with their daughter. So they had a relationship. They're both African-American. So here's this older couple who sees an African-American realtor who, you know, helped their daughter and it makes them a little more, you know, comfortable. It's a little more accessible in terms of getting that, getting that process going. So yeah, that, that's, a, I think that, that's a really good point. And I think we really can't overestimate how important it is that be more African-American are realtors who can help address uh, address the disparity. And then, of course, another huge element of this is affordability. And this is something that really everyone in the Charleston area is talking about, whether it comes to rent prices or home prices. We know that they've gone up during the pandemic and were already high before that. Yeah, so so you're right. It, that's probably the number one issue in the Charleston region in addition to flooding, but but home affordability is, is definitely a definitely a problem. But you know, you I mean you have groups uh, for example like Metanoia that's based in North Charleston, which is in Chicora, Cherokee, a historically black community that's threatened by the prospect of gentrification where you know folks are there, they're getting mail and cards, you know, every other week or whatever with people offering to buy their house and they've been able to build several um, homes and sell them, you know, to, to mostly African-American, uh, many first time home buyers in that community. So you have that, uh, but, but also in addition to that, in addition to folks like uh, Dream Realty, where they have a, a Dream Academy, where they're starting 
really from the educational component where they teach people first some of the historical issues that prevent people from buying a house and then after enlightening them on that then helping develop a plan with them to be able to do things like rebuild their credit score and uh, map out some sort of financial plan to get them on a path towards they can, where they can buy a home uh, but also you know on, on the legislative component as well you you in charleston county there was a ref referendum that was put up to vote last november that didn't pass but the referendum was to you know create a fund that would require an increase in taxes that would be used to to help fund affordable housing you know in the county but but even with all of the you know advocacy and support for that a referendum it didn't pass so the county is now looking at that referendum to kind of see why it didn't pass um, and figure out kind of how they can move forward i think one of the other questions that housing prices here raise is how it's affecting where people can live in the area in terms of the the dukes the couple that bought the ladson home they were renting in Park Circle, and that's an area that, of course, has been built up a lot in recent years. Rent's definitely increasing. That's kind of moving people who need something more affordable out to those outer areas, you know, that might be farther commutes and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and, and that was one of the points for them is that because they were, you know, they were living in Park Circle, I think over the 10 year, 10 year span, um, you know, it, it went up by, by a couple hundred dollars. So uh, it, that's not just a, a, a thing that's unique to them. You know, just outside of Parker, there's Liberty Hill, which is a historically black community. You know, they too are kind of feeling the effects of, you know, just increased you know, prices in, in, in rent. So, you know, and that's kind of how, you know, when we talk about this idea of, of, of gentrification, that's, you know, kind of how that that concept works, right? Where, you know, it's not necessarily those who who, who might own their homes or who, who are being priced out, but but the people who are renting in these areas that are becoming increasingly expensive are, are the ones who, you know, end up maybe having to to leave. And and what we we're seeing is that, you know, it's moving northward. So it goes from the peninsula that effect begins to trickle up into North Charleston, where this issue is becoming a little more prevalent. So folks are keep having to move further and further out. You know, me and my wife, I mean, the reason we were living in Goose Creek is because housing in North Charleston was uh, was too expensive. I'm getting a sense that, you know, it, people are, are having to move and look in places you know, like Latson and like Goose Creek and like Monk's Corner further out in Berkeley County in order to find a place that's that's more affordable. I wanted to briefly just go back to Stella and, and James Dukes, the new homeowners. What did they tell you about what this meant to them, you know, to be able to own a home? And like you said, it was maybe later in life than they had initially planned. But what did they say to you about what it felt like to close on that house? So the word freedom comes to mind. Um, that's something that Stella just uh, repeated over and over is this idea of just, you know, freedom, freedom, freedom. In her saying that and just talking about how, you know, in their entire lives, they were just, you know, didn't, I guess, essentially feel free because they were so uh, constricted. And by freedom, you know, I, I mean, financial freedom, you know, and, and that's what, you know, homeownership kind of offers. Um, it'll offer them, but it also offer, you know, a lot of African-Americans is this idea you know, of, of, of financial freedom. 
freedom. <laughs> Thank you. I can't stop praising the Lord. Yeah. You have to excuse me. No, you fine. You, you have to excuse me, but I have to tell the Father thank you and thank yeah. you to you and me. In just a few seconds, we'll be talking about how student debt is affecting people who want to be first-time homebuyers here in the Charleston area. But first, I wanted to tell you about a special event that we're going to be having next week. It's called Beyond the Headlines, and we're going to give you a look behind the scenes of this podcast and how we make it every week. It's free to attend, and it's virtual, and we'll include the link in today's show notes for where you can sign up. It's going to be March 18th. I hope you'll join us. And also, if you have questions for us, let us know. You can email us at understandsc at postandcourier.com, or you can tweet us at understandsc, and we will answer them then. You haven't heard from co-host Gavin McIntyre in a little while. He's been working on a special project, but he joined us this week for this discussion about student debt and first-time homebuyers. My name is Andrew Brown. I previously covered the South Carolina State House and business, and I recently moved to covering the city of Charleston. So we've talked about the high housing prices here in the Charleston area, and one of the things that can make it even harder to save up money for a down payment is having student loans. So Andy, what got you interested in looking into this issue and how it's affecting the housing market? I had been aware from covering business and looking at consumer debt loads during the pandemic and wondering how that debt was going to affect people losing jobs. And it just seemed like the logical leap to look at how student loans were affecting the housing market nationally and in South Carolina. Student loans are now the largest source of household debt or consumer debt outside of actual mortgages or other home loans. And so the question is, is like, how does that ballooning amount of debt affect home ownership rates and home buying trends in South Carolina. And you actually uh, spoke with someone who was actually looking into buying a home in the Charleston area and encountered some issues and is now planning to wait. Could you uh, talk more about his situation and what were some of the issues he faced? Nicholas was someone who has been out of school for about five years now. He attended USC in Columbia, got a an accounting degree, has found a, a good paying job in the Charleston region. He said he makes around $70,000 a year, which is obviously far above the median income for the region. And so his girlfriend is currently attending law school at the University of South Carolina. And his hope was that he could potentially find or get into the market for a home down here before she graduates with his income and kind of start the mortgage process. And so he he saved up a little bit of money, went to a loan advisor. And essentially what he heard was that his amount of student loan debt, which is over $40,000, it it wouldn't block him from getting the loan. But what what it is creating is making it hard for him to save up enough money in order to place a down payment on him. That's one of the bigger issues that's facing a lot of people with student loan debt is They may ultimately qualify for a mortgage based on their income and and their student debt, but they, in in this market down here where you're paying, you know, $1,000 in rent and you're throwing hundreds of dollars towards your student loan repayments every month, it just becomes a huge burden 
uh, and a huge hurdle to try to save up enough money to become a new homeowner in Charleston or even the, you know, the three county region down here. So you kind of just touched on this a little bit, but the high rent prices in Charleston are kind of factoring into this too, right? I talked to some realtors and some mortgage lenders who are, you know, they're on the ground every day dealing with people who come in trying to figure out if they can buy a home. And what I heard from the realtors and every and, and the mortgage lenders was that a lot of people try to save up enough money for a down payment on a house, but what they're encountering is that an increasing amount of their their monthly income is just being absorbed by by rent or transportation costs or just other general living expenses. And that makes it extremely hard to, even whenever you're being frugal, to save up enough money for that nest egg for a down payment on a home, especially when most loans require a three to 5% down payment. And so if you don't have a family member who could help you with that down payment or gift you that down payment on a house, it becomes a, a long term struggle to try to to build up that that amount of cash in order to become a homeowner. It may not preclude you from becoming a homeowner, but it just means that you're not going to become a homeowner as quickly as you thought you were. The amount of debt that people are graduating with has really increased in the region too. What does that look like in South Carolina? Nationally and in South Carolina, the overall amount of student loan debt in the nation has exploded. Over 15 years ago, there were there was billions of dollars in student loan debt in the country. The Federal Reserve, however, has their, their estimates show that it's far larger than that now. So the problem nationally is there is is 1.56 trillion dollars in combined student loan debt in the United States, and that's like a 500 percent increase from where it was 15 years ago. That's a result of more people going to college and taking out loans, but it's also a result of the amount of money that someone needs to borrow for school increasing. In South Carolina, the average student loan borrower now owes around $36,000. That's $6,000 more on average than just four years ago. All of that contributes to people having more debt on their credit scores whenever they go into a mortgage borrower. And that, that amount of debt can actually, depending on how much a person is making every year, that can actually push people out of eligibility for a mortgage. Federal home loans that are federally backed, for instance, I was told by mortgage advisors that they calculate how much someone repays in student loan debt by taking 1% of that debt amount. And they suggest that that is how much someone is paying per month towards student loans. And whenever that's factored in, that, that can lead banks and other mortgage lenders to assume or, or say that individuals won't be able to repay their mortgage. They don't want to take the risk on it. As that number continues to tick up, and most people believe it will continue to tick up, at least in the short term, you could see more people with student loan debt who are actually blocked from receiving a mortgage until they're able to pay down that balance, which can, again, in itself can take a long time. And Nicholas, it kind of sums up his experience in your story. You know, he says it kind of sets you back five to 10 years. You know, he appreciates his education, but, you know, it's a very high price to pay to then not be able to buy a home when you thought you'd be able to. I, I think he would agree with this, that he's in a, a far better position than some people who have student loan debt. But his situation is not abnormal. The National Association of Realtors looked at this issue 
They've studied it in recent years because they realize how big of an impact it's having on their industry. And what they found is that student loan borrowers, even if they're ultimately able to afford a home at some point, that decision to buy a home is being pushed back in some instances by seven years. That's almost a decade of people who would have purchased a home probably in another generation. They're no longer doing that. And so economists believe that is what's starting to raise the age of first-time home buyers in the country. So we know that the amount of student loan debt that people have has been increasing. To, to kind of go back more to some Charleston specifics at the same time that that is happening, home prices, of course, in the Charleston area are rising too. Can you speak a little bit more to that? Because obviously those those two forces happening at the same time are definitely contributing or kind of multiplying that problem. I had mentioned that the average student loan borrower in South Carolina had seen their debt increase from $30,000 to over $36,000 in the past four years. Over that same time period, the median home price in the Charleston region, which includes uh, Dorchester and Berkeley counties as well, it actually increased from $240,000 to over $300,000. All of that means that you need a larger down payment whenever you're coming in to buy a house. It means that it, it's going to take people longer to save up that amount of money. And so with, with those two things rising at the same time, it just makes it harder for anyone with substantial student loan debt to be able to find their way into the mortgage market. You've spoken to this a little bit, but what are real estate professionals saying? And are they doing anything in their own work to try to counteract this? Because I would think this is a, going to affect their business. The, the Association of Realtors is very much aware of it. The realtors that I spoke to here in, in the Charleston area, their take is, it's a little broader. They're like, it is hard to be a first-time homebuyer, period, in the Charleston region, even without student loan debt. And they recognize that, that just, that's another wrinkle and another problem that, that borrowers have to fix before they can be a homeowner in South Carolina. I know a lot of people are debating and are either upset or hopeful that student loan debt would be canceled, potentially, some of it by the federal government. I didn't mention student loan forgiveness in my story, but I saw on social media that that was all the debate was about over this story. You know, I don't know what the solution is. An economist here from the University of South Carolina told me that he expects state governments and the federal government to try and get a handle on how much higher education is costing if these trends continue. But he also expects 18-year-olds and people coming out of high school to start making different decisions about what they do if, that, if the price of higher education continues to climb. How does this intersect with racial disparity in home, in home ownership? That's something the National Association of Realtors has also been studying. In a study that they just released earlier this year, they noted that the student debt load could actually be playing into the existing disparities between Black homeowners and white homeowners. They found that Black Americans were twice as likely to have student loan debt compared to white Americans. Black student loan borrowers, on average, were more likely to carry more student debt after school. It's not a surprise then that that could be contributing to Black applicants for a mortgage being rejected for those loans at twice the rate that white applicants are. It's all factored in, right? If you if you have more student loan debt, which again, most research shows black student loan borrowers do, 
it just makes it harder for you to qualify. I think you could draw a line to suggest that the student loan debt is impacting and maybe exacerbating those trends, but I think probably more needs to be done to look at that. Do we expect this issue to get better or worse? The trend line on student debt in the United States is continuing to go upward. We may see those trends again flip, but I don't I don't suspect based on what the Federal Reserve is reporting about student debt that that's going to happen in the next two to five years. That may be a longer term trend. There's still a lot of people applying to colleges right now and that have come out in the past four years, and those people will start to repay their loans. And as a result, I suspect that total debt load will continue to climb. All right, listeners, that's all for today. If you missed it, check out our bonus episode from Monday about South Carolina entering phase 1B of its COVID-19 vaccination process. You can subscribe on your Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever you listen so you never miss an episode. You can also sign up for our newsletter to get links to new episodes sent right to your inbox. And remember, don't forget to sign up for our special Beyond the Headlines event next week so you can learn more about how we make this show. Again, we'll include the link to sign up in our show notes today. If you have any questions you would like us to answer during the event, write to us at understandsc at postandcourier.com or tweet us at understandsc. Thanks, and we'll be back next week. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier. Our music is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music on Spotify at Billy Fountain. We'd love to know what you think of this show. You can reach us at understandsc at postandcourier.com or on Twitter at understandsc. If you're a fan of this show, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app. Keep up with the latest headlines at postandcourier.com. We'll see y'all next week.